So, Will. What? I know. Do you remember last week when we talked about the youngest senator in history? Right. We remarked that if Warner had become a senator at age 30, he would have been the youngest Republican senator ever. Right. And we found Senator Armistead Thompson Mason, who was appointed senator at 28. Which is illegal. It is. And I was looking it up, and I found out, apparently, no one knows if he just lied or if no one asked. (laughs) I love... I love... Just the idea of people's lives before you have, like, digital records or news travels far. And it's just kind of like, people in your town know what you tell them. Yeah. Like, you could move to a new place, and the only thing anyone would know is what you tell them. Or maybe if, like, somebody else from your town moves there months later. Right. So, he was appointed by the governor. His dad had also been a senator. What state is he from? Virginia. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, he's a, you know, Democratic-Republican, as we said. And when he was serving, the public found out, and he was like, all right, I'll resign at the end of the term. So, which is why... Wait, so he was, like, forced out because the public found out he was too young? Yeah. Amazing. But there was no actual repercussions. But instead, when he was no longer in the Senate, he ran in a contentious House race because, you know, he's legally allowed to be in the House. Sure, you only have to be 25. Yeah. And by the end, it ended up with him lying dead in a field in Maryland. What? Yeah. What happened? So he was running in a House of Representatives race against a Federalist, and it grew contentious, and then- What year is this, roughly? Um, 18 teens. Okay. He was senator from 1816 to 1817. Okay. And it was basically right after that. And so he was running in this race, and then he lost by a lot, but he got mad. So he was publishing stuff about how there's probably voter fraud, and the whole lying about your age came into it when people on both sides were accusing other people of voting underage. Because at the time, you had to be 21 to vote, and they were also saying that People without property were voting, which the scandal of it all. How dare they? And then in this newspaper called The Genius, these letters were published between Mason and his second cousin, McCarty, where they just started... You know what they say, you can never trust a McCarty. (laughs) If you say so. So they're, like, throwing these accusations at each other. Mason called McCarty an ass in Lyons closing. McCarty countered that Mason had a paucity of talent which rendered him so conspicuously dumb in the Senate of the United States. And Mason accused McCarty himself of voting underage. So In this election? How old is McCarty? McCarty was... Is McCarty like a nine-year-old? <laughs> he's he Vincent Adult Man? He's actually 22. In so the, he is too young. No, he was old enough to vote. Oh, but not to run? Yeah, he was accused of being under 21 and voting in the election. Oh, okay. So then there's like a challenge to the duel, but both of them are saying that they won't duel because... Um, it's illegal. Which it is, because dueling is attempted murder. Yeah, but it's, like, extra-illegal. Uh, Mason's talking to his commander, and if he duels, he'll get his... Even though he's no longer in the army, he'd be, like, dishonorably discharged and lose oh, okay. his positions, kind of. And that it was illegal, especially if you were a public servant, to duel. In Kentucky, you still have to swear that you have not participated in a duel when really? you become a public servant. And eventually... According to local lore, Mason was returning to Richmond after he read McCarty's incendiary pamphlet, and he was in a stagecoat with General Andrew Jackson. A huge fan of dueling. And Jackson told him to go forward with the duel, so Mason resigned his militia commission. Andrew Jackson, worth noting, was in dozens of duels in his life. Oh, yeah. And And definitely killed at least one person in one. Oh, Jackson. He encouraged him to go forward the duel, so Mason resigned his commission in the militia and then challenged McCarty to a duel on Maryland soil. So, 
McCarty was reluctant to fight. Uh, I think Mason's wife was pregnant, so neither of them wanted to do this. But, but McCarty- you have to for your honor. Right. So McCarty eventually agreed because Mason's second threatened to label him a coward in public. So McCarty proposed that they both leap from the dome of the Capitol. What? And then he proposed that they sit on a barrel of gunpowder and ignite it. And after <laughs> this is amazing. After McCarty's third proposal to fight with Dirks, that one was also rejected as a violation of tradition. They eventually agreed to load muskets with a single ball, stand at a distance of 10 feet, and just shoot each other. So have a duel. Yeah, have a duel. And it was held at a, like, dueling ground that was used a lot in Maryland, in, near Bladensburg. Okay. Next to a place, a stream that became called Blood Run because of all of the duels there. Yikes. So at 8 a.m. on February 6th, 1819, Mason fell mortally wounded with a bullet in his left breast. Mason's ball had hit McCarty's musket and then entered his left arm above the wrist, but the wound was minor. McCarty was like, oh no, I committed murder. Yes. So he ran to New York and hid there for a while, but eventually just came back to D.C. and became a member of the House of Representatives and was known by his family for mediating quarrels. (laughs) Did he have them sit on gunpowder? He's like, all right, kids. You can keep arguing, or you can go sit on those barrels of gunpowder until you solve your dispute. They're like, okay, Dad, we'll solve our problem. Yeah, this is just a prime example of the craziness that is dueling. Dueling's wild. If you're interested in dueling, there's a really good book by Joanne Freeman called Affairs of Honor, which is all about the politics of dueling culture, particularly in the late 18th century. And before we get further into the episode, I want to thank the Washington Post for an article where I learned about this. If you want to learn more, you can read Vitriolic Exchanges Led to a Fatal Duel by Eugene Scheel from 2003 in the Post. Wow. So I think with that, it's time to start the episode. Wow, what a wild ride already. Yeah. It's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger, and this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? Hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot. It doesn't matter if it's a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we're going to be talking about this in the light of the 2003 made but 60s set Peyton Reed rom-com, Down With Love, requested by one of our listeners, Christina. It has absolutely nothing to do with dueling in the early 1800s, just to make that clear. No, but I would say there is some, some sparring and a sense of defending one's honor and identity. Sure. To help us talk about this movie, we're going to, you know, have a guest on who actually purchased this movie for us as a gift. Hi, Catherine. Hi, guys. Actually, speaking of that, we need to talk about the provenance of this movie. It was requested by a listener, but this particular copy of it that we have came into our possession through rather strange circumstances. Yep. So I was uh, on a work trip in Anchorage, Alaska, and, you know, this is about two, three, a month or so after John Oliver purchased all of the Russell Crowe merchandise for the Anchorage blockbuster. I believe they're called Russell Crowe artifacts. They're, cer- they're certainly artifacts. Notably um, his jockstrap from Cinderella Man. Which I have a picture with. Are you wearing it? I'm not. Missed opportunity. Yes. So obviously- National Treasure 3 right there. 
Obviously, that made the Anchorage Blockbuster a necessary stop for me on this trip. So I was meandering through the shelving at the Blockbuster and decided that I should, you know, bring a souvenir back for my favorite podcast hosts. And I stumbled across this movie, Down With Love. Never seen it before, but it looked fun. And figured I'd bring something back for the boys from Alaska. And then that Blockbuster closed. It did. I was one of the last customers at the Anchorage Blockbuster. (laughs) Yeah, there's just one left. It's somewhere in Oregon. Yeah. It's in Bend. There we go. So if you live anywhere near Bend, Oregon, go and support the Blockbuster to keep this weird business afloat. Send us a picture of you at the Blockbuster and we'll post it on social media. Hashtag bring back block. Doesn't that actually kind of fit with the movie? I guess it does. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're talking about, as Catherine said, Down With Love, which stars Renee Zellweger as Barbara Novak. And And I gotta say, of all the WEG tent that we've talked about so far, this is my favorite. This is definitely my favorite WEG tent that we've talked about. It's hard to compete with Chicago. Which I at least have not seen. Right. We should fix that. But she had just recently been in that, and Ewan McGregor had just recently been in Moulin Rouge, which is why Ewan McGregor insisted that they do a musical number in this. It's really great. It happens just during the credits, out of nowhere. Yeah, it wasn't planned. He just kept insisting that they had to do it. It's fun. But, yes, so Renee Zellweger, the creator of Wegtent, is starring as Barbara Novak. Honestly, walking Wegtent herself. Renee Wegtent Zellweger is Barbara Novak, and Ewan McGregor stars as catcher Block. Bring back Block. There we go. Hashtag bring back block. Uh, The movie's directed by Peyton Reed, who was just coming off his first ever movie a couple years earlier, which was Bring It On. He's most recently been in the theaters with Ant-Man and the Wasp, so doing quite a range of stuff. But I think a common thread that runs through all this is like really interesting and dynamic movement that you can see a lot. Oh, for sure. This movie has a lot of really great, yeah, like you said, movement and camera work and just... That whole phone montage scene we'll probably talk about. Yeah. Split screen. Oh, boy. I wrote in my notes when you were watching this that, like, I've never seen a movie that so desperately wanted to be a musical. And when I was doing research for this, I came across a quote from Peyton Reed from 2015 when he was on the press tour for the original Ant-Man. And he said, both Bring It On and Down With Love are musicals without actually being musicals. They are heavily choreographed movies, and that was something I really loved doing. And you talked about the comedy of camera work. And he was saying he doesn't like the idea of just like setting a camera there and having people tell jokes in front of it, but the idea that the camera is complicit in the humor. Yeah, and you can really get that sense in this movie. So another important character we should point out, actually there's the two secondary characters are played by Sarah Paulson and David Hyde Pierce. Who are magnificent. Who are both fantastic in this movie. Sarah Paulson wears incredible wigs that I think are just actually coated in glue because of how much they stay in the exact same position no matter what is happening. But they look great. At one point she is under a pullout sofa that was automated and just like accidentally on top of her. Her hair didn't change at all. There must be rubber cement poured on top of it. Honestly, all of her fashion is spectacular in this movie. All of hers is. Not all of Renee Zellweger's is. Oh my god, her hats are Her hats are horrifying. Nature. <laughs> she has these hats. It's like she put a bowl on top of her head and walked outside of the house. Um, it's worth noting, as we're talking about these movies and we're talking about the 60s setting, that Down With Love is very specifically like a parody of and a tribute to the Doris Day, Rock Hudson bedroom comedies of the 1960s. To the point that a lot of it is not just stylistically, but very specifically referencing things from these movies. Like the split-screen phone calls are a reference to Pillow Talk, and there are other pieces as well, like the fact that when Ewan McGregor is taking on a fake persona using a southern accent, that's something from Lover Came Back. 
there's a piece from when the movie came out in time by Richard Corliss that runs through point by point where all of these things are referring to other things in those Doris Day Rock Hudson movies. So this movie occupies a weird space where it is just a painstaking recreation, but is a lot of fun in doing that. I've never seen any of those, but I feel like, and we'll talk about this, the big plot twist of this movie is way too over the top to be from anything except a parody. Right, there's a little bit of parody, but it's not like, I mean, you think other parodies of 60s movies around the time, like the biggest one would be like Austin Powers. Right. And I think this has, I think the people behind Austin Powers like James Bond movies, but I think this feels a much closer kinship to those Day and Hudson movies than that ever did. Right. It's a parody with love, like coming out of love. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, this movie was not a success in any sense of the word. It opened to about $7 million in its opening weekend. It went to a total of $20 million domestic on a $35 million budget. Ouch. The reason for this, more than anything else, I mean, it's kind of a weird movie to have to sell. It's got a strange energy. As much as I love it, I don't know how I would cut a trailer for it that would look like a normal movie. Yeah. It also came out on May 16th, 2003, which was the same day that a little movie called The Matrix Reloaded was released. <laughs> oh, boy. So on the weekend that this movie opened to $7 million, Matrix Reloaded opened to $91 million. Oh, holy shit. At the time, it was the second biggest opener of all time behind Spider-Man. Oh my god. That's a scheduling nightmare. Right, yeah. so this movie didn't really have a chance. Because you'd think it would do better than that, because Renee Zellweger, fresh off her Oscar win, Ewan McGregor, coming out of Moulin Rouge, two very popular movies, and it's very in the same vein as them, even if it's, you know, a different time period. They're both still, like, not costume dramas, but, like, you know, period, period pieces. That's the word I'm looking for. With two really really likable actors right so So i'm surprised at how much this flopped but i'd never even heard of it at all and i think the scheduling is a big problem for it yeah i mean i when i picked this up out of the bargain bin i read the back of it because i had no idea And that's the bargain bin at a blockbuster everything there should be a bargain bin now that we you know have started dissecting why this movie failed financially I feel like we should start talking about why it worked. Yeah, this movie's a triumph. Because it was It's got so awesome. much charm. Yeah. That's just what I kept saying. I kept looking at Mark during the movie and being like, this is charming. That's the only way to describe this movie is charming. It's fun. Yeah. Like, you smile the whole time. Oh, of course. Catherine, since you're our guest, why don't you start leading us through the points as is tradition on Heart of Podness? That's going to be a great way for me to keep talking about what's great. Yeah. Okay, so we'll start off with the first introduction of Barbara and Catcher. Catcher Um. Block. (laughs) Catcher Block sounds like the name of, like, an STD prevention thing. Yep. Yeah. Usually just called Catch in the movie. But his name is Catcher Block. Or, like, he should have been a baseball player in Damn Yankees or something like that. Like <laughs> That would be worse. You can't have a baseball player named Catcher. <laughs> yes, you can. And his co-teammate, Pitcher McGillicuddy. <laughs> and shortstop Peters. Damn Yankees does weirder things. I'm left fielder Houlihan. <laughs> of the Bushwick Houlihans? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I throw the ball to center field Skinner. Okay. <laughs> So, Catcher Block is a journalist, I guess, is He's like a lifestyle writer. For this men's magazine. It's called No Magazine. He's a ladies' man, man's man, man about town. Sure. That's how everyone identifies him. Yeah, it's always ladies' man, man's man, man about town, Catcher Block. 
And so Catcher has been tasked by his editor, Peter David Hyde Pierce, to write a cover story about Barbara Novak's new book, Down With Love, all about how women should start acting like men and not fall in love anymore. And specifically what she's saying is like, for women to achieve equity in the workplace, they need to not be distracted by the idea of falling in love, starting families, having children. But she's saying that they should still be free to do other things like have what she terms sex a la carte. And the trick is disassociating sex from love. Right. So the movie opens with her arriving in New York, meeting her editor, played by Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson emerges in this movie. She comes out of an elevator that's full of smoke from her cigarette. She's wearing this red dress with an attached sweeping red cloak. Is Sarah Paulson a witch? Whatever she is, she's amazing. So they go to the creative board to talk about the book to figure out how to pitch it. By the way, the chairman of the board yeah. is played by Tony Randall, who was the like nebbish friend guy in those Doris Day Rock Hudson movies. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. So they're pitching the book and she's explaining this, how women are swearing off love. And I just love all the old men on the board are just like, but what about sex? And she's like, oh, they can still have that. But how could they have sex if they're not in love? And it takes a solid three minute conversation for them to come to grips with what this book is about. And Renee Zellweger, her character's name is Barbara Novak. She lays out this step-by-step system for how women can achieve this goal. And what they have to do is start by eating lots of chocolate because her theory is that chocolate also gives you a great feeling. And so by learning to associate great feelings with something that's separate from love, so associating that great feeling with chocolate, then women will be able to dissociate those feelings and then they'll be able to have sex without associating it with love in the future. Right. And then there's two other levels and I cannot remember what those are. um, Well, step one is eat lots of chocolate. Step Step two two is... is take on new challenges in their lives and in the workplace. And step three is success. Um, It's worth noting this book in the movie is a reference to a real book that was written in 1962 and was kind of a sensation. It was called Sex and the Single Girl by a woman named Helen Gurley Brown. I've heard of that. So the book was actually this big sensation and Helen Gurley Brown then went on to be the editor-in-chief of Cosmo for about 30 years, kind of riding off the success of that book. Oh, I think that's where I've heard of her. Didn't they make a movie about Sex and the Single Girl? Maybe. Pretty sure they did. There is a film. It is a romantic comedy from the year 1964. Tony Curtis and Natalie Wood with Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, Lauren Bacall, and Mel Ferrer, directed by Richard Quinn. Quine? Quine? I don't know. Okay, so this is definitely a direct parody of that movie, too. Yeah, it's including a lot of that stuff. It's not just the Doris Day Rock Hudson stuff. There are other things included as well. Yeah. So, you know, that's how we meet her. We meet Catcher Block coming back from a night with three cabana girls. Right. Actually, we first see him coming down the ladder of a helicopter with three cabana girls hanging out the side, talking about how great he is. He's wearing this white suit as he drops down onto the roof of the No Magazine building. It's a magnificent introduction. And this brings us to something that I really want to talk about. His boss is threatening to fire him, which I think he'd be justified doing in, like, at least ten moments in this movie. (laughs) But... The really confusing thing is he gets to his office and there's just a full shower there. Yeah. And he has like a full wardrobe of clothes in his office. Like, is that a thing? I mean, Catcher Block is later on referred to as the kind of man who changes women as often as he changes shirts. So So you gotta have a lot of shirts around. It's what you have to have to be a ladies man, man's man, man about town. He goes into the bathroom for a while and I was just like, what is happening? And then he opens it in a towel and there's steam coming out. And I was just like, what? I was so confused. And then it's worth noting that the reason he's not fired in this moment is because he actually found Nazis hiding in Fort Lauderdale, well, he, of all places. Not hiding, it's he discovered that former Nazis were working for the space program. 
That's what he discovered. He managed to sneak into NASA. He stole a NASA security badge and got in, and he discovered that Nazis, he's not named, but like Werner von Braun, are working for the space program, which completely throws David Hyde Pierce off. He's like, Nazis are bad. We're good. What are you talking about? So that's the big stunning expose that Catcher Block is going to be writing, because that's what he does. He writes stunning exposés that completely subvert people's expectations. Right. So then his next stunning expose is to talk to Barbara Novak about this book. Down with love. Because his boss, David Hyde Pierce, is trying to hook up with Sarah Paulson, the editor of Down With Love, which is the only reason that he agreed to have Catcher Block, Ladies Man, Man's Man, Man About Town, write this expose. Right. And let's just say Catcher Block is not so excited to be uh, writing an expose about this spinster librarian. From Maine. From Maine. So he decides to just start blowing off the meetings. Yeah, by, they're supposed to have a dinner meeting. By and... finding other women. Well, no, it's supposed to be lunch with... at first. Yes. They're supposed to have lunch. Sarah Paulson and Barbara show up and David Hyde Pierce shows up. In one of the best entrances in film history. They show up in these coats. Uh, One of them's wearing a checkered coat. The the other one's wearing a bright yellow one. And they take them off and their dresses match the other one's coat. It's this wonderful entrance. But Catch and David Hyde Pierce had already been there. But Catch leaves to go hook up with a stewardess named Gwendolyn. And so then he's not there when the women folk arrive. So then he decides to call them at the restaurant from wherever he is. Is. I believe at that point it is a box at Camelot. I know with one he goes to Camelot, with one he goes to the Yankees. And with one he's in bed at the hotel. Yeah. So he decides to call and says, something came up. There was a dog and I had to save it. And can we postpone the meeting? And Barbara's like, I mean, fine. Sure. Why not? Let's postpone to dinner. This then happens three more times. Well, two more times. Two more three times. times total. So he does the same thing at their dinner. And he's just blowing her off because he has no interest in writing this story. He's annoyed that he's being made to do it so that David Hyde Pierce can get with Sarah Paulson. And he really doesn't have any interest in finding out who this spinster librarian is. He'd rather hook up with his stewardesses. Meanwhile, the book isn't actually selling that well, despite the fact that I noticed it's a hardcover, 254-page book being sold for $1.25 because publishing was different. Yeah, so the board doesn't know how to market it. So essentially, there is one copy at one bookstore and one copy at another, and that's it. But also, at one of the meals, I wrote in my notes, I can't remember which time, but I just have a note that says, she straight up looks like a vagina. Because I think she comes in wearing this ruffled pink coat. Yes, and that, you like, are correct about that description. her whole body. I was just like, alright, this is a choice. It looks like that Kristen Shaw costume from The Daily Show. <laughs> Definitely. So, what Sarah Paulson decides to do is she manages to use her connections to get Judy Garland to sing about Down With Love on The Ed Sullivan Show. To start building up buzz for the book. Which is possible because there's an actual song called Down With Love that Judy Garland sang on her variety show. Right. And so they splice two things together. Yeah. To create this. And the book starts to blow up a little bit. And Barbara gets to go on some game shows. She's promoting the book. She's asked about how the sale... She, uh, she's on Chris Parnell's game show. <laughs> and Chris Parnell's like, how did your sales double it? And she's like, well, when they were burning it in the South, they would burn it and then immediately buy more so they could burn it again. And the men had to go get it to see what was going on with their wives. And Yeah, this book is changing America. As all these wives are like, forget love and focusing on families. We're just gonna do whatever we want. And all the men are like, what? 
Yeah, so the book skyrockets even in communist China and right. Soviet Russia. Women are seen buying this book. I love the one shot of the Soviets where they go to a store and come away with this miserable looking loaf of bread, saw into it, and pull out a copy of Down with Love that's been smuggled into the Soviet Union. It's shown to take over Profiles in Courage as number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. I think the thing that really drove it home with the Soviet Russia thing is the Soviets in 1962 needed that bread and instead they they'd had, rather have down with love they'd rather have down with love i mean you could still eat the bread they're only losing book-sized portion of it <laughs> so on that game show chris parnell asks barbara about the worst kind of man that she describes in the book she talks about the worst kind of man who changes his women as often as he changes his shirt and he's like you're gonna name some examples and she's like no of course i wouldn't do it it's catcher block and he's watching it and he's like what i'm a ladies man man's man man about town this is also about the second time that he's actually seen what she looks like, and he's quite surprised. He's surprised because he was expecting a spinster. He's very surprised she's blonde. And he's like, well, what the heck is this? This is not what you warned me about, David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, one thing I enjoyed about this is you see David Hyde Pierce really taking pleasure in Catcher Block's downfall, even though he's his lead writer, most famous writer. And they're very good friends. They're very good friends, but David Hyde Pierce whose name I cannot remember. I have no idea what it is. Peter. Peter. It's very amused by the fact that his friend is being taken down a peg because he is terrible. So in response to being named publicly on television and that the whole down with love system is cramping his style, he decides that what he needs to do is do a classic catcher block expose to reveal that Barbara Novak is a fraud. She's not really a down with love girl. Just like any other girl, what she really wants is to fall in love with a guy and get married and have a family and that she can't really want this. And so what he's going to do is he's going to go undercover and prove her a liar. In other words, he's going to how to lose a guy in 10 days, her. I have not seen that movie. So now we're getting to point number two. So... Catcher's developed this plan that he's gonna go woo Barbara and prove her theory wrong. And he gets the opportunity to do this when he's out with David Hyde Pierce and he sees her on the street holding a bunch of laundry by a dry cleaner. So he decides he's gonna pick up David Hyde Pierce's dry cleaning for him, you know, trying to be a good friend, puts on a pair of glasses, puts on a southern accent, and has a meet cute with Barbara Novak at a the dry cleaners. manufactured meet cute. He pretends to be Major Zip Martin. He pulls this name out of signs that he sees around, and he pretends, first off, not to know who she is, which stuns her, because she's on TV, she's in the books, she was on the cover of Mad Magazine, and she's been trying to find a guy to hook up with, but can't because everyone knows her as the down with love lady. So she's really kind of refreshed by the fact that he doesn't know who he is. He winds up using the stolen NASA security tag from when he was doing that expose to claim to be an astronaut working on a secret mission in New York. Which is fitting because Barbara had made a comment to Vicky, Sarah Paulson, the night before that what she really needed was to find an astronaut that had been in orbit for the last couple months so that he was somebody who didn't know who she was. And so what Catch decides to do is he's like, look, if I'm going to prove she's a fraud, then I can't be a guy who's down with love himself. And so he's saying like, oh yeah, I don't party. I just like to sit at home and read the Bible and smoke my pipe. And she asks him out, pretty explicitly propositions him. And he's shocked. He's like, no, I can't do that, but I wouldn't mind getting to know you. Yeah, she really tries to jump his bones right away. And then she agrees to go on a date with him. And we get a very classic night out montage scene. Yeah, of them exploring New York. It's like They basically go to every attraction in New York in the course of one montage, and it's great. It's every single Broadway show that was in the season. Like, in the general era. Just like... <laughs> 
So every show, they go to baseball games, they go to, gosh, everywhere. And he's just being cute. He's wooing her. He's being the sweetest little good boy, Bible-reading Southern astronaut that you could possibly imagine. While sending a private eye to Maine to figure out what's going on with her. What's the deal with this Barbara Novak? And at the same time that all this is happening, Vicky and Peter have started dating. Which is great! Which is very fun to watch. After a little while of Vicky trying to date other people, she goes on a date with a quarterback and is upset because he winds up slipping her a manuscript at the end. Yeah, so she's also having trouble with... She's trying to be a down-with-love girl. Right, she's trying to be a down-with-love girl, but can't find anyone that's willing to just sleep with her because everyone now knows her as the editor of Down With Love, the most successful book in the world. Probably the best line in the movie is when Vicky tells Barbara she's complaining. She says, the men who resent my success won't give me the time of day, and the men who respect my success won't give me the time of night. I love that line so much. Sarah Paulson has so many great lines in this movie. Sarah Paulson's always great. At one point she just says, I hate men and I could watch Sarah Paulson say, I hate men (laughs) on a loop. I think she has that tattooed on her arm. (laughs) Sarah Paulson, I think, might be the best performance in this movie. I don't know that I could... I mean, all of the Central Four are so good. Yeah, it's hard to judge because they work so well together, too. Yeah. It's the pairings are really strong. Yeah. So I think we've kind of gotten into our third point a little bit that they start dating but that really comes to a head when catcher pretending to be zip invites barbara over for dinner before that we should note the phone call split screens which are happening in the midst of all this they are talking on the phone at one point he calls her up and there's this really fun use of a split screen where the screen divides right down the middle and we see them talking, but the way that it's blocked, it looks like as they're talking on the phone, making arrangements for this dinner, it looks like they're engaged in pretty aggressive sexual behavior. Oh yeah, so he's in a towel having just showered because apparently he showers a lot and she's coming in from sunbathing, so she's in a swimsuit and it's things like at one point they're face to face with the split screen. and She he, drops her sunglasses so she, she gets down on the ground and is blowing them to clean them off. Right, and he's opened his towel to like dry off. At one point she leans back stretching and he leans forward doing something. It's very, very aggressive. It's very scandalous, yeah. yeah. And I like they, at the, when it ends after looking like they've been just straight up having sex, it ends with the split screen with the two of them lying on their backs both having a smoke oh yeah (laughs) but anyway so in that he was inviting her over to his place for dinner but it won't be his place because his place is like a let's get laid bachelor pad so he switches apartments for the night with peter so he's actually gonna be at peter's place where peter has made this elaborate dinner for vicky and he's like no no i'm getting that dinner don't do that which does lead to some funny moments and instead uh peter and vicky go to catcher's apartment because Catcher guarantees Peter that 10 minutes there and he'll get laid. So they go to the, they have this dinner and they're having a grand old time. There's some comment about how they've been out 29 times in 23 days or something insane. Barbara's trying to seal that deal. I don't think she's really doing much work at this point either. She's probably just raking in the cash. I mean, Down With Love is a huge hit. So at the end of the night, they've had a really lovely time and he tells her that he's never been more ready to get to bed. And she's excited. She's like, all right. She wants to sleep with him so badly. One way ticket to Bone Town. And instead. And then he offers to get her a cab. And she's hurt. I mean, who wouldn't be? She straight up propositions him and gets rejected. And she's like ready to be done. She's like, let's say goodnight and goodbye. We're not going to do this again. She says she starts to feel. So she has to break up with him. Right. Because that's not what a down with love girl does. Right. Can't feel anything. But then he kisses her and she agrees to meet up for one more date. He kisses her and then there's a very awkward body movement because he clearly gets a boner. Yes. Because there are two (laughs) back-to-back boner jokes in this movie. Yeah. 
So then he goes home where he discovers that Peter and Vicky have turned his apartment into just like a complete throwdown. Like total beatnik. They went downtown, got high, and invited a bunch of beatniks back to their Half the people are naked. Apartment, yeah. People are having sex like all the over village. the place. Vicky's just wandering around handing out cocktails. In a class. Oh, nope. We haven't covered that movie yet. In the future, we will be talking about a movie where there's another party with someone handing out cocktails. Eat the oysters! <laughs> so, um. Catcher Block shows up because it is his home. Right, and he's like, all right, it's a party. Let's go. And this naked woman comes up and is like, the man's got you wearing that suit. And he's like, well, you could help me take it off. So then he's going to make out with this lady in his bedroom. And then, (gasps) what happens, Catherine? Barbara shows up. What? Oh, no. What is she doing at this party? In a spectacular blue trench coat, by the way. Yeah. She always has great coats. So Her Vi- hats are bad, but everything else is great. So Vicky, who's her best friend in New York, clearly invited her to this impromptu party. So Barbara shows up and is like, oh, this is a swing in time. Let's get down to the hangout. And Vicky's like, great. Just throw your coat in the bedroom. She goes Where to throw she- her coat in the bedroom. And she sees people on the bed. She's like, oh, my, don't worry about me. And she throws her coat at the bed and she says, catch, being like, catch this coat. And catch goes, yes, and looks up because it's his name. It's it's a word, but it's also his name. I thought his name was Zip. Well, that's who he's pretending to be. See, there is no Zip McClintock. (laughs) You got this, bud. (laughs) There is no Zip Martin. He's really just catch in disguise. And then Barbara sees him. (gasps) Surprising. She's not happy. She does not make the connection that he's catch. No, she doesn't. She's just like, Zip, what the heck? I thought you were a, a good boy who didn't do anything scandalous, and that's why you wouldn't have sex with me. And she storms out, and he goes outside, and he's like, I think that girl slipped me some kind of plant. Yeah, so he basically tries to claim that he was drugged, but this is where we get boner joke number two, where she points out the fact that there's a hat just hanging off of his open trousers. (laughs) (laughs) And so he says that he was drugged, and then she develops this whole scheme where she's like, oh my gosh, Catcher Block worked to entrap Zip Martin to find out the secrets of the NASA New York project. And so he's like, wow, this is right. Like, that dastardly Catcher Block is trying to do me in. And so they have this whole argument that then turns into this solution. And he says that that argument argument that they had about whether or not they should see each other because he was having sex with this lady it made him realize how much he cared and that he's ready to go to bone town that's the actual quote from this movie he says i'm ready barbara i'm ready to go to bone town he says i love you it could be passionate for me and meaningless for you yeah (laughs) and he's laying it on really thick he's like i can make love to you and you can just have meaningless sex with me Right, and she says, I don't have any rules against men falling in love with me. Just the other way around. Just the other way around. So she's down. So she's ready to bone it out. And so they don't have sex that night. No. But the next time we see Barbara, she's chatting with Vicky. And she's like, you know what? I'm not a down with love girl. This actually isn't working. I'm in love with Zip. And Vicky says the same thing. She's like, I'm in love with Peter. It's less about being in love with Peter and more about just not being a down with love girl. Not being a down with love girl in general. Because in it, fact, it she turns ju- out that Vicky thinks that Peter is gay. Yeah. But she wants to marry him anyway. It's very well played. That- when it could be like a bad like gay panic joke, it's not. It's no. super fun. It's really funny because we'll get to the actual point, but he's about to reveal Catcher Block's plan to Vicky. So he says, I have something to tell you. And she just goes, oh, you're gay? I already know that. You have but well, at first lo- she's like, I know what your secret is. I've oh, always yeah. known. And he's like, really? He goes, yeah, you're gay. Who cares? Yeah. She's like, you have pictures of Catcher Block all over your apartment. Because it's actually Catch's apartment. Right. And he has- I do love the touch that Catch has pictures of himself all over his apartment. <laughs> yeah. 
And so then she is like, we can still get married. And then he admits the plot of Catcher trying to entrap Barbara Novak. She was like, it's one thing for me to marry a homosexual, but to marry you after you lie to me, that's a whole nother thing. And then she storms out after that. Meanwhile, to try and be a good friend. Meanwhile, back at Catcher's apartment. We're basically at point four, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back at Catcher's apartment, Catch, pretending to be Zip, activates a taping system. Where when they're, he and Barbara are starting to get intimate. They're lying on his couch that turns into a bed. At the flick of a switch. We live in the future. (laughs) Yay technology. He gets her to admit that she's in love with him. And actually, she says she loves him too much to have sex without marrying him. And she's not a down with love girl at all. And she is on tape now saying, I, Barbara Novak, am not a down with love girl and want to marry you, essentially. And so... Catch's plan has worked, and then they're about to start making out when Gwendolyn, the flight attendant who made him miss the first meeting, comes in, takes the key that he leaves out for girls to come by. She pops by and she's like, oh, hey, Catch, whoa, you're with a lady. Normally you make it so that I wouldn't come in, but no worries. See you later. Yeah, she's just there to hit it and quit it. And talks about how great it is being a down with love girl. Oh, because she recognizes Barbara. Right, she recognizes Barbara. She's like, wow, I've got to shake your hand. You're the best. And Barbara's acting upset first. Catch is like, my cover's blown, but I got you. I have fooled you. You're a fraud. At which point she turns off the tape recorder. And we find out... This is magnificent. This is the most convoluted twist. So we mentioned earlier that one of the fun things about this movie is the way that the camera work is really dynamic. It's moving a lot. It's participating in a lot of these jokes. This is about a four or five minute sequence where the camera just sits still straight at Renee Zellweger while she talks to Catch. And it's unbelievable. So Barbara Novak doesn't actually exist. Her real name is Nancy Brown. She's one of the long string of secretaries that Catch runs through all the time. He's constantly going through secretaries. And she was his secretary for three weeks, and she was in love with him. And so what she did was she hatched an elaborate scheme because she's like, I need him to be in love with me. Even if I got up to the point where I was one of the girls in his rotation, that still wouldn't be enough. She's like, what I had to do was I had to go and leave. And I had to go and write a book about how women shouldn't do any of this. And then I had to have the book be just successful enough that the star reporter of No Magazine would refuse to write anything about it. So that way I could take a few weeks to turn it into a success. And that at the end of those three weeks, Catcher Block would be so furious about it that he would have to write a story about it. And I knew that he would deny me meetings a couple of times. And then he would pretend to be someone she in order to get under my skin. Summarizes- she lays out the entire Everything plot of the movie that has happened in the movie and it has all been her plan and it's hysterical point by point throughout the movie and, and she delivers the whole thing totally straight yeah i thought she was kidding no it's so funny <laughs> i definitely thought that it was going to be revealed that she was just trying to think of something on the spot but nope this is exactly what nancy brown former secretary slash evil genius had planned and she ends it right with saying i love you was also my plan And she asks if it worked, if it got him to fall in love with her. And he kisses her and he says that they're going out because no wife of his will be in an apartment like this. And And he's met his match. Their marriage will end the battle of the sexes. Right. Their marriage will end the battle of the sexes because it'll end the down with love charade. Right. That it'll prove that actually this is the way to do it. But that's when Barbara slash Nancy realizes that she doesn't want to do that. That in the process of pretending to be Barbara, she has kind of become Barbara and wants to keep this down with love movement going. Right. And so she refuses to marry him. She's realized that, oh, wait, women's equality is a good thing thing what yeah and she says i might have been the last one to get there but it turns out i am a down with love girl after all and she leaves 
and Vicky storms in, trying to protect her friend. She's the one that gets to punch Catcher Block in the face, which was fun. Yeah. And that really brings us to our fifth point. Because now what the movie has turned into is instead of... I mean, I spent a lot of the movie thinking that we'd kind of end there, but without the crazy monologue. Like, we'd end with the reveal, but they'd be like, we like each other anyway, let's get married. But instead, now the movie has turned into Catch trying to pursue Nancy because he is so entranced by all of this. Right, so I actually spent the movie trying to figure out how they would end it in that way, because the traditional ending is the plans revealed, they like each other anyway, they get together. But I was like, how do they reconcile that with the Down With Love movement? Because clearly the movie isn't about to espouse, like, women should stay home and cook. Right, and so what Nancy does then is she, well, still as Barbara, she goes, she starts a new magazine of her own. Now! And the magazine for women. Is immediately a big hit. And there's a great line where Vicky's like, I'm glad you realize you had millions of dollars and we started this company. <laughs> yeah. Because Vicky was fired by the boardroom because they didn't, they didn't like they that their- how their wives were behaving. Well, their mistresses. They well, didn't yes. like that their mistresses weren't happy anymore. So Catch, meanwhile, is totally morose. He tells Peter, I don't want to have sex anymore. I want to be married. He suggests actually writing an expose on himself, revealing that Catcher Block has been totally undone by all of this. And Peter's like, I don't want to publish that. That's not fun. And so what he does then is he goes to apply for a job at Now Magazine because- Barbara's refusing to see him. Yeah, because Peter actually says we can't publish anything because every woman in New York City has quit their job to apply to work for now. So they have no secretaries. They have no staff. Do any of the work, apparently. Because, spoiler alert, women actually get stuff done. So what he has to do is he goes to apply for this job. And Barbara's not happy to see him. Because as an equal opportunity employer, it means every single applicant to every job gets to interview with the CEO. Well, the CEO thing is silly. That said, the laws that cover equal opportunity did not exist federally, so that's a policy of theirs. Right, I know, but I was still just like, that. that is a very big leap from them considering an application of a man to every single person gets in the door of the CEO. Yes. To be fair, the job is as her personal assistant, so... It does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. So he goes in for this interview and he's got a resume and stuff, and she's like, well, this would pay you much less, so thanks for your time. Doesn't make any sense. And he goes in this speech, he's telling her that he's not interested in women a la carte. He's looking for a new kind of love, though, with a professional lady. So, like, he's not trying to get into this the way that he presented it at first. He's not trying to end the battle of the sexes. And she starts to eat a lot of chocolate. Yes, she starts eating lots of chocolate, because that's what you use to substitute for sex. Because they have now, now has now started marketing chocolate off of this, like, skyrocketing sales of chocolate that was caused by Down With Love. Which is hilarious. It's Down With Love brand chocolate. He actually gives her the expose on himself. He's like, here, publish this in Now, the story of how the Down With Love woman brought down Catcher Block, ladies' man, man's man, man about town. And she still says no, so he leaves. He's walking away. He's bummed. He's surprised. She's not running after him. He does a thing where he counts, expecting her to show up within five seconds. Which had worked when he left the laundromat when he first pretended to be Zip. Yeah, but this time it didn't. And he calls the elevator. And he gets there, and she is already on it! What? (laughs) It's a very... It's a great glass elevator. (laughs) It's a great glass elevator that she called from her office. And there are some pernicious knids inside. Yeah, it's very Emperor's New Groove. Yzma and Kronk beating them there and then basically admitting they have no idea how it happened. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, 
They make out in the elevator. He asks her to marry him. And when they get to the roof, because the elevator goes up, he's got a helicopter waiting that says Vegas or bust. Yeah. And they both, in the elevator, like, while they're kissing, he proposes and she says yes. And at the same time, they both say, I'm not quitting my job. And essentially, they've invented the idea of entering into an equal and, like, supportive partnership. And then it ends with a musical number. Yeah. Because they've co-written a new book about their equal and supportive partnership. Cheers to love. Woo! Or is it here's to love? It's here's to love. Yeah, it's great. They perform it on Chris Parnell's show. Yeah. It's so fun. It's such a fun movie. This movie's delightful. I think one of the strengths besides, we talked about the direction, but also just like the dialogue zips. It's musical, like how sharp it is and all the wordplay is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's actually, I was surprised. The writers of this movie, Eve Allert and Dennis Drake, this is the only movie script they've ever written. They have a story credit for Legally Blonde 2, but they've never written any other movies. Weird. Which is a bummer. What else have they done? They did some TV work. TV, yeah. Yeah, they were writer-producers on an early season of Will and & Grace and on a show called Maggie Winters that ran for one season on CBS. That makes sense. I could see this being... This is very similar to the dialogue in early Will & Grace. Yeah, I can see that. And also, I feel like the failure of this movie probably did get passed on to them in yeah, some ways. Yeah, can't have helped. Even though it was definitely the Matrix's fault. I would also like to point out that at the end of this movie, also, I believe, in the credits, Peter and Vicky call each other and have an overlapping conversation where they say the exact same things and they end up engaged. They decide over the phone to get married. Yeah. Which is great. So, what do you guys think? Do you find this believable? Lord, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of our most fun romances. But it would never happen in a million years. It's our most fun one. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna say it's a one on the scale, but it's our most fun. Yeah. I can go with that. Yeah. Okay, so it's a one. Yeah, it's a fun one. Oh, yeah. Hashtag fun one. Hashtag bring back block. Nancy Brown constructed a scheme that worked perfectly (laughs) somehow, but at the same time became a new person. A media mogul. And a media mogul and founded a magazine. It's just the most ridiculous thing ever. It's so great. Even, like, Down With Love becoming a bestseller. In a year, she decides to write a book, and it becomes the international sensation around the world. It's gotta happen to someone. So, do you guys think Nancy and Catch would be dateable? (laughs) Also, no. Also, no. No. Nancy is a manipulative psychopath. (laughs) And Catch Block is... Also, just a terrible person. Ladies man, man's man, man about town. The real conversation is who would you date in the movie? Um, obviously Vicky. I think I would date Peter. <laughs> I could, it's like I could flip a coin on Vicky and Peter. They're yeah, both I, so great. I'm leaning Peter because Peter knew what he wanted and he figured out how to get it. That's true. Yeah, but Vicky is great too. Vicky is amazing. And we could share a wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely wear her hats. Oh, yeah. She has these great, like, spiral hats. To go over her spiral hair. Yeah. I really want the dress that she wore when she went to Catch's apartment to punch him. That was pretty spectacular. I want her to teach me how to be a witch, because that's what she clearly is. Apparently, it's just stand in an elevator and smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. She's wearing a red cloak when she shows up. She's on her way to save her grandmother from a wolf. Oh my god. Modtastic. Uh, do you guys think Nancy and Catch would stay together? Well, they're both not real people. <laughs> That's true. So it's, it's like impossible to say. to say. I mean... Maybe. I mean, Catch is gonna cheat on her at some point. 
Yeah, I feel like it would just be a kind of thing where it's like constant elaborate competition between the two of them. Yeah. They might both be egocentric enough to make it work, but like, it's not, uh, it wouldn't be healthy. No. All right. Well, that probably does it for this movie. This movie is a delight, though. I highly recommend. Yeah. I if would... you like saw Ant-Man and we're like, give me more of that. Or if you've seen Bring It On. And we're like, give me more of that. It's fun. Yeah, highly recommend. It's like 90 minutes. It's the same length as an episode of Sherlock. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And thoroughly more delightful. Yeah. So next week, come back to join discussion of our first pre-code movie. Ooh. We'll be talking about 1934's comedy mystery film, The Thin Man. Ooh. The introduction of Nick and Nora Charles to the silver screen. If you've never seen the trailer for that movie, check it out because it's super weird and I love it. Yeah. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And as always, tell us the story of you sharing our podcast with someone you know and love, or don't love, by tweeting at us at Heart of Podness with the hashtag Podcast Summer. Last question for all three of us. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Well, what you do is you quit your job, move to Maine, live in Maine for three years. She didn't actually move to Maine, though. She just kept living in New York and had a P.O. box in Maine. Oh, okay. Write a book that you know will initially sell okay, but then after a few weeks become a bestseller. Find a man that you already have a thing for. Get him to not want to write an expose about you, then get him to want to write an expose about you after you make him mad. I could go on, but I think... You get the idea. I was going to say, pretend to be an astronaut. And I was going to say, don't just assume that someone's a spinster librarian because they wrote a book. My other thought was, neg the person you're into on national TV. If you do pretend to be an astronaut, remember, you can only use the name Mike Dexter. That's right, I'm astronaut (laughs) Mike Dexter. All right, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Love's like a shot but works much quicker And you're a man who can't hold his liquor Cheers, cheers to love I'm an old-fashioned and you're the cherry